Off it, everybody, and thanks for joining us. We're streaming live right now on Facebook, and we're also uh, recording this so that we can put it online uh, via podcast version. My name is Julius Santos. I'm in studio with Tim Rohr. Uh, this is GQ under the podcast GQ. Uh, the whole point of the podcast, my, my platform, is to get people to think. We're not trying to tell you how to think. We're not tell, telling you what to think. We're providing perspectives. We're providing information, and uh, you be the judge. So, Tim, we're going to be talking about uh, the controversy of the church. I watched you, or I listened to you and watched you uh, speak at the Rotary Club. You presented a timeline. You, you showed, you presented facts um, and documentation within this timeline. And then ultimately, you kind of connected the dots. And the scandal here in Guam mm-hmm. spans all the way to the Vatican, mm-hmm. uh, essentially. And uh, that kind of blew me away. Uh, and I, I really think it's important that we get this information out there um, again, so that people can absorb the information and and consider it for themselves. And we mm-hmm. can also talk about uh, what you just mentioned earlier: uh, the last five years, what you've been living through, the fact that you've been fighting this fight mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. walking through the flames, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and having to to stay the course in, mm-hmm. in that respect. So let's just get right into it. Well, thanks, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak about this. I basically sort of retired from action about a year ago after uh, Archbishop Aperon was found guilty by the Vatican mm. um, on the first first go-around. Uh, but then a whole new can of worms has opened up. And uh, But unless I'm asked to uh, talk about it, I don't, normally don't talk about it. Um, I do, from time to time, will post on on the blog, but not, not like I used to right. before daily or whatever, because pretty much all this is out of my hands now. It's right. in the hands of the courts and the, all that kind of thing. So uh, my, um, you know, basically I thought, you know, my work is done in, in, in a way, you know, so, um, so I really haven't been all that uh, active, <clears throat> but... Um, it, it, it's uh, so a couple of things uh, you mentioned that I sp- addressed the Rotary Club last uh, last week, Rotary Club of Guam, and a couple of things that uh, I spoke there. I'll just repeat here. Uh, it just so happened that on the very morning, uh, well, that very day that uh, I addressed the Rotary Club was the deadline for the for the bankruptcy cases for the Archdiocese right. of Ganya. Uh, one of the print media ran a story uh, that. Um, kind of uh, showed us, gave us a good idea of the magnitude of our problem here, and it's something that I've been pointing out for quite a while. Uh, most people have heard or seen the movie Spotlight. I believe it won, what, uh, the best picture or something like that? Okay. And that was about the, the sex abuse scandal in Boston, right. which is the most horrific in the whole United States, which is why they made a movie out of it. <clears throat> and it was pretty horrific. Uh, but the uh, the fact is, is that it's nothing compared to Guam. The actual numbers are... Uh, given the relative populations of Boston and uh, and Guam, Boston had a uh, per capita for a hundred thousand twelve abuse cases per hundred thousand. Guam has one hundred and forty seven, and that's as of last week, and there's been more since then. That's a huge. Disparity. So what's twelve and one hundred and forty seven? And if you just for the Catholic populations, Guam has a seventy five percent Catholic population. Uh, Boston has a, um, a 45% population. So that would adjust it up to Boston 16 per 100,000. We're still nine times, ten times bigger than Boston, a thousand percent larger. How does, that, how does that happen on a Catholic island, as, as devout as most people are and as close-knit as families are or whatever? How does our abuse crisis become a thousand times bigger than Boston's? It's a thousand percent bigger than Boston's, and um, uh, that, that's a, that's a story that nobody seems to want to tell yet. Um, the, the the AP did a really good uh, expose on a whole thing and drawing out and focusing on the victims and their stories, you know. But what was the culture that engendered fifty years of the most horrific abuse imaginable? Right. Uh, what, what do we need to look at? For years, I've been kind of pointing some things out. For instance, Guam has a suicide rate one and a half times the rest of the nation. Uh, for, for up until uh, we started in 2008, uh, starting advancing pro-life legislation, uh, Guam was the easiest place in the nation to get an abortion. Okay, this was an abortion paradise. Okay? Uh, Guam has the highest divorce rate in the whole world, okay? wow. uh, followed by Russia. Wow. Um, uh, go on. Uh, we have the highest teen pregnancy rate. We have the highest out of uh, birth uh, wedlock rate. We have a rape rate three times the rest of the nation. 
Uh, th- these aren't, and, and, and we're worried about gambling, <laughs> you know, or the Marines are coming to Guam and they're going to mess up our, you know, this going to become a dangerous place once the Marines get here. The most dangerous place on Guam seems to be right in the family. Because I'll tell you, um, I, ma- I made mention that one thing that made Guam unique. So here's the, that's the bad stuff about Guam. The good stuff about Guam is that we're the only place in the whole world that solved its own problem. In every other place, it's been the press, it's been the, uh, the attorneys, it's been legislators that went after the church and, and that kind of thing. Here, it was 70, 80-year-old people that were standing out in front of that cathedral for 54 weeks in a row, not just standing, but picketing with signs in front of that 930 Mass, because that was Aperon's Mass for many years. Of course, he had already been gone. He fled. That's the really interesting thing there is that uh, he ran. Okay. At the at, at first act, it, it was before even Walter Denton came out. It was when Roy Quintanilla. Nobody even knew Roy because he hasn't lived here in many years. But as soon as that that came out, he ran. Okay. And I've got a uh, I've got a uh, photos of him actually in Rome meeting with the Pope two days after uh, Roy Roy came out with that accusation. So we know where he went. He ran to Papa. You know. So what does that say? Anyway, um, there the the fact is is that you know we're dealing with a really big problem, but. The Manamco, the elderly people, were the ones who brought Aperon down. Uh, and they did it by not giving up. They forced the Pope, they rubbed the Pope's nose in it. Because every Sunday, they were there with their signs. And you, you saw people you had to respect. You saw people in wheelchairs and walkers and whatever. There wasn't any young people. This wasn't any rabble-rouser. <laughs> These were people that could probably hardly get, you know, get out of the house on a Sunday morning that were standing, walking around in that hot sun with their signs. And basically, we... Um, we brought the, the walls of Jericho, came tumbling down because of that. Sure, I was blogging about it and raising awareness and doing village meetings and stuff like that, but it had all been talked just like everywhere else right. if it hadn't been for that. And the real energy behind that was a lady named Lou Klitsky. Uh, for whatever reason, she decided that she was going to put some people together, and they weren't going to give up. You know, They were going to keep on that. So we solved our problem. Well, we, we haven't really solved our problem because we haven't addressed the cultural you know, malaise that's underneath all of this sort of stuff. But uh, kudos to those people for for standing up. And they showed the rest of the world how to do it. Because, you know, the you read about this all the time. Everybody's complaining about this in their own diocese. You know, they don't know what to do. And, you know, Guam showed them what to do. You know, somebody has to stand up yeah. and not sit down. Right. That's the question. In fact, I was against the public demonstrations at first. And the reason being is that I knew if you couldn't keep it up, then it would work against us because the Archbishop would be sure to say, look, you know, they were there for three weeks and went away. There's nothing to this. So when Lou uh, told me she wanted to start this, I said, great, you can't can't stop it until the job is done. And I tell you what, she she really did the the work, you know, to make that happen. Uh, You know, stop me if you want to ask a question, but I want to back up to the the problems that we've got here, you know, uh, you see it in the news all the time, you know, Guam's horrendous suicide rate. Yeah. And a lot of it is blamed on, uh, you know, cultural problems or lost love or whatever. And, and such. You know, I kind of joked at the Rotary Club, and, you know, I've lost girlfriends before, but none of them were worth dying for, you yeah. know. So something else is going on. Right. And uh, That could possibly be the catalyst, but it's something deep. Well, I'll tell you, I was just in a conversation with an elderly gentleman a couple days ago. He didn't even know who I was or what I was doing. But it was through my business, and we were talking. And for what? And out of nowhere, he asked me, "You know, what religion are you?" And I said, "Catholic." And he and he said, uh, "Are you a hardcore Catholic?" And I go, "Yeah, well, pretty much." Well, I have to tell you something. Well, he he was he was molested when he was uh, a child, and he told me the whole story, not just by priests, but by nuns too. You know, and and he, and he could gave me time, date, location, everything. And then I let him know, I says, well, you know, I'm the guy that helped, you know, expose all this because he's part of the bankruptcy lawsuit and stuff like that. But um, I run across this all the time, you know, and I've I've run across people who have told me when, yeah, I mean, he even told me too, said, you know, you you tell your father, your grandfather, your mother, whatever, um, they just slap you down, you know, saying, you know, shut up, don't talk that way about the priest. Uh, I even get that, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm going to, something bad is going to happen to me because, you know, I'm talking bad about the bishop, you know, whatever. Right. So there's a cultural fear there, you know, and um, uh, and, and uh, the, the, the priest, especially Aperon, was really good at inculcating this uh, authoritarian, you know, uh, 
He always walked around in his papal robes, I called him, right? Yeah. You know? I, I will say one of the things that he would do regularly really put me off about him, uh, and this is well before any yeah. controversy came out, was he really liked to hold his hand out so he could kiss his ring. And he, I remember he took a photo once, and in the photo he was kind of had that gesture. Yeah. Mm. And it, it, it just in retrospect, when I think about it, yeah. I, that always – it was just something off about that, like – he was, revered yeah, himself to he, re, he revered himself. I mean, basically, that, that's what it was. And uh, see, you know, most, most of the time, uh, bishops don't wear all that regalia, mm. unless it's for some sort of formal event. Right. Usually they're dressed in a uh, regular black, sort of like a priest business suit. Right. And they've got a chain, that a chain and a cross that identifies okay. them as a bishop. But when you're just out and about, you're not wearing your full, you know, uh, the phylacteries, right? The Pharisees and their—they like to wear broad phylacteries, you know. But he was really, you know, he was really into himself, and I just kind of blew all that stuff off. But all of it was uh, a way of keeping people quiet and fear. And one of the reasons why the Menomco were the ones who brought him down—it's because they knew mm. there wasn't any secrets about Father Tony. All of them knew about Father Tony, and they knew about. More than that, and actually this is going to go back, and this is where I could be very unpopular, and I'm not going to address much of it, but, you know, there's three Chamorro bishops that have been accused, mm. okay, uh, Flores, and then Camacho and Saipan, and all of this happened under Flores. When Aperon was doing all this raping and molesting, it was right under the nose of Archbishop Flores, okay? And someday that story is going to be the connection between Aperon and Flores is going to be uh, going to be known. Right. So people like to think about Flores as the good old days because people liked him. He had his demeanor was likable versus Aperon. So people right. have no problem throwing Aperon at the bus. But you you can't touch the sacred cows, you know, when it comes to Flores. And I don't really want to go there. I just will tell you this: that Father Brigard, who 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 is at one hundred and seven seventy cases, yeah. you know, whatever. All that happened with Archbishop Flores, and Flores is the one who scooted him away to Minnesota in 1981. Aperon wouldn't be bishop till 86. So all of that happened under Flores. Mm. And nobody really wants to look at that yet. You know, and some, someday it'll happen, I suppose. But you know, it, When yeah. you talk about that and you talk about the, the culture that inculcated this, uh, the culture that enabled this, and we see it across the board. It's a universal aspect. Uh, we see it in families with uh, their individuals with disabilities and how they kind of keep them in the shadows before mm. as we're growing up and other secrets about families. And, and I, one, one day I just kind of coined it. Like, it's like the Mamalau factor. And it's really an insidious kind of cultural, uh, I don't want to say theme, but it's like a cultural mm. element that is mm. insidious because over time it mm. allows for these things. We just don't want to embarrass anybody. Mm. We don't want to embarrass the family. So we don't talk about it. Yet, and, and you mentioned this during the, the Rotary Club meeting, it's like we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to be embarrassed, yet we're mm -hmm. willing mm -hmm. to allow these things mm -hmm. to happen, these mm -hmm. terrible, disgusting mm -hmm. things. Yeah, you know? uh, bringing shame on the family is worse than a mortal sin. I right. mean, that's something you just don't do. Right. You, don't bring, you don't shame the family. So even if your child's being raped and molested by the priest, you shut up about it because we don't want to bring shame and embarrassment on the family. Right. Now, Doris Conception, the, the mother of, uh, of Sonny Kanata, one of the boys who was molested by Aperon but died, admitted this at a public hearing. She described it, and she was so remorseful. You know, she was in tears right. about, you know, having uh, punished her son for telling on, uh, on Father Tony and right. all that kind of... Because she was actually uh, cooking for Father Tony, right. you know I this mean? This was the gentleman who would say, like, uh, his mom would let him go spend the night at his home... Well, Sonny, Sonny died in 2005, I think, mm. so, but uh, he, he, he did have a brother that testified at the public uh, hearing, and actually probably that's the closest we can get to, like, a, uh, a, um, a, I guess, a personal witness, because uh, I won't say his name, but anyway, the brother uh, <laughs> said he and, he and uh, Sonny, the, the, the child that died, uh, tried to burn down the rectory. Uh, where Aperon was staying in Agate. They right. tried to burn it down. And then Aperon caught him, and then the brother got away, but he hauled Sonny's butt into the into the uh, house and raped him, according to the brother at the, at the public hearing, right? Uh, you know, anyway, but backing up to this fact that the, the name that you, use, that you use, right? But the bottom line is, um, uh, you know, we don't bring shame on the family. And I've had victims, you know, who have become who have come public tell me you know quietly so i won't use any names but 
they're adults now with adult children. Right. And they've told me that their their children have stopped talking to them because they brought shame on the family. <laughs> you know, they're 70 years old yeah. and they're coming out with this. Yeah. And their adult children, 40, whatever, okay, uh, got mad at them and angry at them. Some even cut them out of their life altogether for, for doing that. And uh, I'm not going to go too much into my own personal situation, but I could tell that when I was doing this, and as it got dirtier and dirtier, that uh, my my own family, which was usually very supportive, like when I was involved with pro-life efforts and stuff like that, my own daughters were out praying the rosary in front of the abortion clinics and very active in the pro-life stuff. So they were on board with that. But when it got to this, I have no idea. But um, they, they were not happy with mm. uh, what I was doing. And I didn't even, you know, someday, I don't know if we'll have time today, but... I never went after this to begin with. Back in 2013, I saw a priest being treated unjustly, Father Paul Goffigan. Um, it was so unjust that I felt I needed to say something about it. And that's kind of where the Jungle Watch started. Mm. And, uh, and then it exploded and uh, went to all this. But I, I wasn't even onto this. I had heard of it, but I wasn't onto this at all. It came, came on its own. You probably have to wait for the book or movie for the whole story. Mm. But I, I do want to bring up what I what I exposed at the Rotary Club um, on Thursday for the first time. Nobody knows this. I I did it for the first time on Thursday. But the the the, tie, the direct tie-in to the Vatican to to, right. to Guam. So back in 2013, I was just defending Father Paul, and it was just a small-time thing. You know, I was, the, the traffic was increasing, but I thought well, it was because a lot of people liked Father Paul, and uh, Aperon had threatened to fire Paul or. He, he demanded his resignation, and if he didn't resign, you know, he said, to resign or, quote-unquote, face a more painful and arduous closure to your assignment, okay? Now, those are the words wow. that got me, and, yeah. I, and I got a copy of the letter. Father Paul let the letter out, and this is not how a bishop asked a right. priest to resign. Yeah. So this is, this is mob language, and I knew where it was coming from. You know, the guys that run this place have some Italian last names and they live in New Jersey. You know, they're former Italian communists. They actually run, they were running the church on Guam for many years. And I think, I think they still are. I think that they are just made their inroads and I can't say it out loud, but they're, I think they're, they're, they're going to be back very, very quickly. And they just have acquired a very large piece of property that uh, will be their base. But we'll go, we'll go to, we'll go back to what I was talking about. So 2013, I'm defending Father Paul. October 11th, 2013, I get uh, via email a letter with Vatican uh, Vatican uh, letterhead, okay, from a cardinal in the Vatican, uh, threatening me to cease and desist picking on Archbishop Aperon, or you know more mob language, you know, to threatening me. But I also could see that it was written by somebody who didn't speak English as a native language. Right. There was too many mistakes. And then, I, then the cardinal himself, his name is Cardinal Edwin O'Brien, he put a little sticky note in the left-hand corner saying, asking humbly for your cooperation. So you know how these guys will have somebody write the letter and then they'll just stick a little note on it, you know, to that kind of right. whatever. But it was, it was threatening language to me, cease and desist. And I'm thinking, why is Rome writing me to stop picking on Aperon. Well, either Aperon or some, one of Aperon's people, and now I know who it is, went to the Vatican to try to shut me down. Wrong thing to do, because then I realized I'm onto something here. And if nothing else, I'm just going to fight back. So I wrote that cardinal back twice with a 60 pages full of the stuff I already had on Aperon, right? And he never replied uh, until 2018. Five, so five years fast so forward. 2013, 2018. Okay, yeah. fast forward. Um, he, so he, what he had done, he had threatened to kick me out of, a, of an order that I was a member of. It's called the Equestrian Knights of the Holy Sepulchre of Jerusalem. It's like the Knights of Columbus. Right. And he was the Grand Master. Okay. You know? And he had threatened to kick me out if I, di if I didn't uh, cease and desist. Right? Of course, I didn't cease and desist, and I kept on going. And so 2018, Aperon is found guilty by Rome. But if you remember, they were very careful not to say found guilty of what. Right. 
they said certain of the accusations, which included sex abuse against minors. Right. Aperon's local attorney was quick to the microphone saying, you know, we're very relieved that he's been, uh, what do you call it, uh, vindicated on most of the charges. And he plans to prove his innocence in the appeal and all this kind of stuff. And the whole thing, the th- whole thing, idea was to try to make it like he's been, he was only found guilty on like administrative things, not right. sex abuse, right? But of course, I knew better. But they, the Vatican was careful not to say that because, and and it took them almost six months after he was found guilty for them to actually release the statement. Okay, so I knew what was going on. You know, the bad guys that run the place, the Italian communists. I'll just refer to them as that. Uh, have have very high, uh, and I, I can say this guy's name, Cardinal Fernando Filoni. I can say his name because I have a copy of the letter that he actually wrote to uh, somebody here in the archdiocese, but basically threatening same kind of thing. Like he was like he's in control, you know that kind of thing. So they got to Filoni. Filoni is known as the Red Pope because he's a cardinal, so he wears red. Right. But he actually runs Rome. Interesting. He's that powerful. <clears throat> and uh, so Filoni needed to save Aperon, and I kind of knew why by that point. But they did everything they could since they couldn't save him from the verdict because they were going up against Cardinal uh, Burke. Uh, Burke is the guy who led the tribunal that prosecuted uh, Aperon and found him guilty. People don't mess with Burke. Mm -hmm. You know, he's really one tough uh, guy, really knows his stuff. So they knew they couldn't overturn anything, but they could confuse the sentence as much as they could, which is what they did. So I write uh, Cardinal O'Brien in March of 2018, and so now that Aperon's been found uh, guilty, um, you know, can, can I have you uh, withdraw your threat to kick me out of the order from 2013? And I right. attached the letter, you know. And he was dumb enough to write back saying, well, he, he, uh, he was, uh, wasn't found guilty of the things you accused him of. Because in 2013, I was only accusing him of administrative, uh, you know, n- n- neglect, really. So by saying that, he admitted that it wasn't administrative neglect he was found guilty of. It was what's left, sex abuse against minors. So I wrote him back and says, oh, so you're confirming that he was found guilty of sex abuse against minors. Okay. Uh, He didn't reply. Right. Five months later, when was this? Anyway, in August of 2018, I'm actually in the Caribbean at this point with some family business. And it, there's, a, there's a big family uh, event in Ireland, and the Pope is at it. And, and uh, it was on, I, never, I never watch TV because I don't have cable. You know, but it just so happens that it was in a hotel, and it was on. I was watching EWTN and the Pope. Well, the Pope was on his, on his plane back to Rome, and some reporters came up to talk to him. And they brought up this whole thing of this Archbishop Vigano letter. Okay? V-I-G-A-N-O, if you want to look it up. Well, it became extremely famous. In fact, the guy's in hiding now because he wrote an 11-page letter uh, basically linking the Pope and several high-placed cardinals to basically what he uh, characterized as the homosexual cabal, the Lavender Lobby, famously known, operating in the Vatican, uh, that is tied into all these sex abuse cases. Because, see, the dirty little secret is that none of this is about pedophilia. Pedophilia is clinically about, uh, you know, adult in, inordinate attraction to prepubescent right. children. You're talking about the, the clinical uh, yeah. uh, word for that attraction. Well, that's what pedophilia is. Yeah, it's very yeah. specific to the age range. It, it, it exactly yeah. is. But yeah. you know, we, we say everything under 18 is pedophilia. Right. Well, it ain't. It's, okay? yeah, it's not accurate. Well, uh, God makes, made you and me adults at about 14 years old. I mean, the fact that society draws a line in the stand at 18 for smoking or drinking or whatever. It's 21 now. They're shifting it. Well, that's because we've got some people here that, anyway, whatever. Yeah, it's federal funding issue. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with adulthood. Right. The puberty stage, essentially, is where we start to become adults. That's where you become adults. In fact, the marriage laws in every state, including Guam until just recently, uh, said that uh, the, um, the marrying age for girls is 14. Right. You know why? Because that's when they can conceive. Right. <laughs> so if you can get married at 14, can't buy cigarettes, but you can get married and have a baby 14. The reason is, is that those laws are like so old. It's just yeah. based on natural law. Natural law says that at 14, and a guy had to be 16. Right. You know why the Guam changed it to make the girl 16 and the boy 16? After the uh, same-sex union thing uh, got legalized? Mm. You, they can't, you can't discriminate because what if two boys want to marry each other? Right. Okay? Oh, interesting. Okay. Interesting. So could a, could a 16-year-old boy marry a 14-year-old boy? Well, yes, on Guam, legally. 
So they said, well, that's too young. we got to jack it up. So they changed it for that. But anyway. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like, that's what we want to clarify is this is historical language. It's not like we're abdicating this, the, you know, that sort of union or whatever. It's based historically. No, it's like just once, these are just facts, you know. But, yeah, yeah. Once but I, I wanted to point that my, my point of all this is that this is about uh, perverted clergy. Yeah. Okay. Seeking out adult males. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's really what is going on here. But by calling it pedophilia, we're not addressing. So Vigano made the cardinal. Uh, this is why I'm talking about this. Right. Archbishop Vigano, he was the papal nuncio to the United States. So he knew all these guys. Mm. And he wanted to clarify what was really going on. And in, in Rome, the, in the Vatican itself, there's these, it's been exposed now, you know, some really wild gay parties, okay, amongst the clergy. Okay, and that there's what the, it's called the lavender lobby. Well, listed in that 11-page letter, okay, by Vigano, uh, by Vigano, the papal nuncio, because he was accusing the Pope of being part of it. Pope Francis. Yes, yeah, because yeah, Francis was covering for a guy named Theodore McCarrick. McCarrick was the Archbishop of uh, Washington D.C., who has finally been kicked out, but he's notorious for his. Uh, you know, relations with seminarians and, mm. you know, and he, if you sleep with me, I'll get you a promotion kind of thing that was going, it was notorious. And Francis was basically, quote, you know, I won't say it, I shouldn't say it, but anyway, he was uh, together with uh, McCarrick mm. uh, on the same page, you know, right. and trying to get McCarrick off. Well, when Vigano came out with that letter, and I'll t- explain why all this is important, uh, he names the same Cardinal O'Brien in that 11-page letter, as part of the lavender lobby, the homosexual cabal uh, that was basically behind all of the clergy sex abuse that we're now seeing. That's really what it is. The church and the priesthood and the seminaries for years. I'm from Los Angeles. This started in L.A. I mean, it was just common to know that the seminary was known as the Pink Palace. You had to be gay to get in. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I, I saw my own pastor, you know, tried to try to get me. I just knew that I was 17 at the time, and I just said, this doesn't feel right. I'm out of here, you know, kind of thing. Long story, you have to wait for the book on that one. But uh, I, I wasn't new to this when it came up in Guam. You know, I had been seeing this fester for 40 years, and Vigano just outed the whole thing, that this has been the undercurrent, and now they actually feel they have a pope who's sympathetic to them. So, um, but Vigano decided, I'm, I'm blowing the whistle, you know, on these right. guys. And he blew the whistle on Cardinal O'Brien, which... Going, look, looking back at 2013 when he tried to shut me down, O'Brien had to know that the danger of me outing a bishop would lead to a domino effect right. that would eventually nail him. Right. And guess what? Five years later, yeah, look at the world. Look at the whole world. The, I just got an email this morning from a friend in Texas uh, where um, the state of Texas now is uh, uh, doing an investigation of every diocese going to just take it apart and just sue the heck out of them. Mm. Um, it's happening state after state, you know, because these guys have gotten away with this for so long. So now we know what, you know, this, this whole thing, this connection to Rome, why they tried to stop. You know, Aperon wasn't just a lone wolf out there. He was part of a much bigger uh, thing that's been going on in the church for a very long time and, and hurting a lot of people. Right. And so and it's not necessarily like a conspiracy in that, this group is intentionally going out. They kind of happen to be on the same page, as you put it, and they're all protecting each other in, in that. Oh, it's respect. a good old boy network, yeah. and then yeah. then that kind of way, you know. Yeah. But uh, now it's uh, even more so. It's uh, uh, systemic, essentially. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's at the very core. If anybody really, it's not new to the church. There's mm-hmm. a great book called um, the Book of Gomorrah. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah, right. Book of right. Gomorrah, actually written in the 11th century by a priest named Saint Peter Damien. And back in the 11th century, <laughs> this this problem was really, really deep. Mm-hmm. And um, the only thing is, is that what makes it different now is that we didn't have a sympathetic pope back then to to this problem. Right. So it was basically the pa- the pope and Peter Damien who cleaned out the church. It took them like a hundred years actually to change things around. Uh, but see now that's why Vigano Vigano was pointing its finger at the pope. Now what happened to Vigano? Okay, well, so so on on this August 2018 thing, when the Pope is uh, being asked on the airplane back to Rome, some one of the reporters brought up about Aperon because he had just been found guilty. Well, what about Archbishop Aperon? In the, in the context of this whole uh, Vigano letter, right? And 
because uh, Aperon was the only bishop ever tried by a Vatican tribunal. In fact, they didn't even know what to do. They didn't have anything to try a bishop. Yeah, priests, yeah, but bishops, you know, how, what do you do with them? Right. So he was the only bishop ever to be tried by a Vatican tribunal. Of course, he was found guilty. So they said, well, what about what, what's going to happen to Aperon? Because Aperon immediately appealed his sentence as soon as he was, you know, found guilty. And then the Pope said something that really got to me. He said, "Well, I've 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 taken that uh, uh, I've taken the appeal on myself." Hmm. Now, it's not supposed the, the Pope isn't supposed to take on the appeal himself. The appeal is supposed to go back through the tribunal and through the what's called the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, where you've got twelve other people there that you know, basically can you know rule on this, right? So the Pope was bypassing all that and said he's going to take care of it himself. I mean, he thought Filoni. And then the people that he's connected to, okay, they have to save Apron. This is their last gasp. And I think I think uh, uh, the Pope would have um, uh, granted uh, the appeal based on nothing, right? Because he's the Pope. He right. can just he's the lawmaker. He can just do it. But because the McCarrick thing was so hot right then, it was blowing up all over him. I think the Pope said, no, I'm not going to risk myself from some guy I don't even know where he's from, you know, I mean, that kind right. of a thing. And so uh, he denied the appeal famously. It took until just, what, a couple months ago, denied the appeal. And uh, so there's, uh, you know, there's that connection. But I mentioned also at the Rotary Club that this isn't over. People have been focusing on this whole bankruptcy case with the archdiocese yeah. and so on. But it's only a really small piece of it. The bigger, there's a couple other bigger pieces which I'll come to, but one of the pieces is Aperon's own civil trial because he's been accused by Walter Denton and others, right. and they're suing him personally. Right. And Aperon's not a poor man, okay? He's suing him personally. And Aperon's defense is going to be that uh, he's the victim of a conspiracy led by real estate mediators, uh, me. Okay. Now, that's been in the news several times. I've got press releases from the Archdiocese of Ganya going back to 2016 accusing me of doing what I was doing because I had a financial interest in selling the Jonia property, the former seminary. Okay? Right, right. Um, and, that's, and so when Aperon was found guilty in 2018, that's the first thing that he said, and I have it in writing, that he's going to prove his innocence by showing that he's a victim of a, of a conspiracy, you know, led basically by real estate mediators, right? right. Okay, well, guess who, you know. So, um, now, I'm going to just touch on something shortly, but it occurred to me when I walked into the studio, but I need to say this. In March of... Um, so in March, Mar Aperon was found guilty March, 8, March 16th, 20, 2018. March 24th, 2018, I got a phone call from a friend, okay? Word, quote-unquote, word is amongst the clergy that, and I won't say who, somebody <clears throat> is going to go to the media about you. They did, and they went to KUAM, and they went to Crystal Paco. May 9th, KUAM, Crystal Paco, I get a WhatsApp message. And if she's listening, Crystal, I've got, I've saved it all, <laughs> okay? WhatsApp message. And she texts me a picture of, um, a, of some complaints against me <clears throat> by my own children. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to be able to prove all of these false, and I'm going to be able to prove the money trail that's behind it all. But KUM ran two hit pieces on me, smear pieces on me, destroying me <clears throat> as a wife beater and a sexual molester of my own children, okay, for two nights in a row. Then the Guam Daily Post and PNC ran another two. So for a whole week, I'm being... The guy who stood up alone for four years, right? <laughs> Believe me, I'm not here to exonerate myself, but if I had any skeletons like that in my closet, you think I'd be standing alone against the most powerful man in Guam for four years? But I, when it happened, I knew exactly what it was. Because he... That message, that phone call, word is amongst the clergy. Okay, why is word is amongst the clergy that so-and-so is going to the media about me? Well, Aperon. Aperon and his people, they knew. And I found out which clergy it was. Because I, I, I came across that email just recently. Started doing some research. And I know exactly where it came from, who it came from. And the whole thing is about discrediting. Because in order for Aperon to save himself, he has to discredit me to right. begin with. Right? And I won't say why 
You know, I don't want to bring my family into this any more than I have to. But I'll tell you what, <clears throat> I didn't run. I'm still here. I'm sitting here talking to you. Right. Okay. Who, look at everybody else who ran. Louis Camacho, the guy found in the car, you know, helping himself to a 17-year-old girl down in Agate, a priest, right? Uh, John Wadeson, as soon as I outed him, I don't know if you remember the name, but uh, he, uh, I outed him uh, back in 2014, it was, and, and he ran away. Aperon, one accusation, he ran away, nobody can find him. And, oh, well, they did find him. You remember where they found him? Yeah, what state was that? They found him hiding in a house yeah. in San Francisco, owned by the vice president of Bank of Guam, where Aperon gave all his business. Every school, church, everything had to have their money and accounts in Bank of Guam. So where's Aperon hiding? San Francisco, Bank of Guam. Okay. Uh, David Luan hired it. It was on the front page of the Post, if you remember. He had grown a beard, tried to cover yeah, himself yeah. up, all that kind of stuff. I remember stuff. that photo. You know, this is worse than... I don't think Dan Brown could write a novel about this. <laughs> no, I mean, this is, this, this is really, really, really terrible stuff. It's terrible stuff. It's shocking and, to hear. And, and, uh, that's, to put it lightly. Well, you know, we're not even getting, we're not even getting close, you know, to, to some of it. There's a couple other cases. There's another really big case, and it's against the Capuchins. Mm. I have to remember... Capuchins are really at the bottom of all this. Who ran Guam for almost 100 years? Capuchins. Right. This place didn't become a diocese until, I don't know, 60s or something like that. And even the first bishop was a Capuchin, Baumgartner. Right. Okay? Uh, Flores, of course, was the first local bishop, but this was all Capuchins. If you could explain that for, for most people who okay. don't understand the difference between the Capuchins running yeah. uh, the church in Guam versus it being a diocese. Yeah, first of all, the Capuchin Franciscans are a religious order versus uh, what they call a secular or diocesan uh, priests. So a religious, religious order it would be like monks or nuns. Right. Okay? And diocesan priests are basically kind of like the businessmen. They're, they're called secular priests. They're allowed to. They don't have to take a vow of poverty. They can have their own assets and just run like a regular life, really. Just uh, chastity and obedience, yeah, but not poverty. So um, because Guam was kind of like a mission for so long, and it was mission, uh, you know, we had the uh, Augustinian friars. and then the, the, But anyway, the Capuchins established here. Well, what was Aperon when he was molesting all these kids? Capuchin. Okay. All of them were Capuchins. They were at the bottom of all of this, right? <clears throat> and as a three or four, there's another guy named Andy Mineta. Uh, there was the one that uh, Mr. Leo Tudela, uh, I forget the name. Of, anyway, it goes on. But most of this was overseen by, you know, the Capuchins. Well, there's, so if you look in any of the lawsuits uh, that have already been filed, it names, you know, amongst the Boy Scouts, if, if it had right. to do with uh, what's his name. But it also names the Capuchins. Because Aperon was a Capuchin. He still is a Capuchin, right? Okay, so He's still a member. Now he's released from his vows to the Capuchin, but he was a Capuchin priest at the time that he was doing all of this stuff. And at the time, most of these things happened. So this is a big lawsuit against the Capuchins, and I don't know what's going to happen. I bring that up because, uh, you know, not to badmouth, we've got to be honest about things. There's people that have, like, certain affections towards their parish or their church, you know, right. not my church, not my priest. Right. Not, not my. I was just thinking yeah, that. Yeah, and and the Capuchins are always seen as you know kind of the favorite, the brown robes, you know, right. all that kinds of stuff. Um, and I've had people say, hey, you know, we we have Capuchins in our parish, and we want to keep it that way, and all that kind of stuff. Well, what do you think Aperon was? You know, Mount Carmel was a Capuchin parish for for many years. You know, going back to before Aperon, and that's where, that was my parish. You know, when I moved to Agate, I always heard about the Agate Boys. But in 1994, when I moved to Agate, I began really hearing about it, you know. And lo and behold, someday I would meet the Agate Boy himself, Walter Denton, which led to everything, you know, right. else. And, and so that's, that's, a, that's a lawsuit that's going on. There's also lawsuits against the Sisters of Mercy. And, uh, yeah, that was an interesting one when it, that came up. Yeah, and there's, 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 there's a, lot of, a lot of small stuff. People sometimes say, like, well, how did we know we're telling the truth? You know, I, I did talk to one of the victims, and he was grilled mercilessly by uh, Guam uh, archdiocese and lawyers. Okay, uh, to the point where they had him breaking down, crying, and everything. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't move from his story. Right. Yeah. Now I know that the archdiocese, because of bankruptcy, is not grilling people anymore about it. Because basically, they're throwing in the towel. It's not even, right. not even, not even in their hands anymore. Yeah, I wanted to address that. You know, when you're talking about 
people who may be watching, maybe listening, who will get upset. It's like you're talking about my priest, you're talking about my church. And yeah. When after your your talk at the Rotary Club of Guam, you, mm-hmm. you know you mentioned it because I talked about what about those who may be losing their faith now finding all of this out, and you talked about the emphasis on you know the faith is in Jesus, it's in God, it's not mm-hmm. in your priest. You know mm-hmm. your priest is kind of like the conduit mm-hmm. who helps you get there, mm-hmm. um, and I think that was very important because in that message, you know you, you were saying we need to be diligent, we need to be vigilant in ensuring that. Mm-hmm. The church is not going to cleanse itself. It's it's no. it's a community thing. We need to mm-hmm. be the watchdogs of it. Mm-hmm. Same way when we we keep government in check, mm-hmm. you know, by electing leaders we believe will will, will serve us and mm-hmm. represent us uh, mm-hmm. appropriately and properly. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing with the priests. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, I talk to a lot of people who say, "Well, I don't know how to defend because I'm a Catholic as well." And they're like, "I don't know how to defend myself when people start, you know, criticizing the church." Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it's well you have to have that faith and your faith is not in that individual it needs to be in jesus it needs to be in god and that's yeah. where you have that strength and that's where you should want to purge the church of yeah. all of this evil that's going on yeah. well as you know i had a couple of quips on that and you know one of the things i always point out is like bad priest started with judas right and jesus picked him yeah like so you know are you going to leave jesus because of judas yeah i, I mean, love how you put it it's very succinct, and, and it, 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 essentially that's what it is i mean the bad guys are everywhere and jesus actually picked the first bad right. uh, the first 12 apostles were the first bishops yeah so bad bishops started with judas and jesus himself picked him you know but most people use this whole thing going over the church as an excuse uh to uh you know to to, to cover for themselves you know they they stopped practicing the faith long ago mm. or they're involved in some sort of uh, sexually promiscuous relationship anyway or there's some living some kind of immoral life and they don't like the church's teachings on sex or this and yeah. that and so we'll just say well look look at the priests and the bishops you know why should we do boo them and it's it's yeah. a way to kind of discredit it to water it down i think there's Make a lot yourself of people, feel better is what yeah, they're doing there's a lot of people i believe who are resentful of the church and uh you know because in my 20s, I, I veered. I, I stopped going to church on Sundays, and I just kind of started mm-hmm. doing whatever I wanted to do, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and then when I found the church again and I started to kind of walk the path and try to be closer to, to Jesus, closer to God, I told a friend of mine, a really close friend of mine, and she was like, oh, no, now now God's going to tell you what to do. And that's where I started to see that resentment. It's mm-hmm. like, well, why do I have to do this? Yeah. Why does God want me? It's like God gave you free will. You don't have to. God wants yeah. you to submit yourself to him he wants you to choose if you want to be close to him otherwise go and do whatever the hell you want to do but you see the consequences of it which is what draws you back if you have any sense left in you you know if you're not too lost and so there's that really deep-seated resentment resentment. yeah well and and that's 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 going to be understandable especially since we're gone we're now in this into the second generation of this false teaching of mercy in the church that Mm. god loves you no matter what yeah no that's not true i'm sorry yeah (laughs) read the gospels jesus warns about the sheep and the goats i will come and separate the sheep from the goats the weeds and the wheat okay and um if anybody really wants to get into it, I have books easy to find. I think it's even on Amazon. It's called Why I'm Catholic with my, my last name. I think you can download it for two bucks or something like that. But essentially, I make out the point that, look, man, I don't care what you believe or don't believe. Right. You're going to die. Yeah. And there's either something after this or there isn't. So 50-50 chance that there is, right? Right. Okay. And if there is, then what is after this? Okay. So this 50-50. That's pretty bad odds, man. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. And if there is something after this, the, what we do know is that there's, there's uh, eternal damnation. I mean, you can believe in nirvana or go you know, to the whole reincarnation thing or whatever. But really, there's only two religions, interesting, only two religions that teach that there's an eternity. Okay? And that's the Christianity and Islam. Right. Islam, of course, is basically a Christian heresy. Right. Uh, it's based kind on of a, the Bible, right? Muhammad. Yeah, yeah. Muhammad was actually learned from a heretic named... Um, uh, Nestorius. Nestorianism was a heresy. And Nestorius was the equivalent of the Pope of Constantinople. That's how mm. high this was. Mm. And he was teaching a heresy, basically, that Jesus really isn't both man, God and man right. and whatever. And that's why Islam doesn't... Islam respects Jesus as a prophet, but not as God. Right. right? And anyway, go on and on. But they, both Islam and Christianity believe that there's an eternal damnation or there's eternal happiness. Right. Okay, now they have different definitions of what that is. But eternal damnation is something that not, not you know when you get to fifty fifty, that's not something you want to mess around with. Right. You know. Right. And so I, you know, long story short, I kind of make that point. Says, well, you know, you better figure it out because you're going to die. Yeah. You know, you're going to die, and you're going to have to face 
well, 50 50 chance you're going to have to face something. Right. And so I'm a, you know, if you're a betting man, then I think, you know, you better place your odds. It's, actually, it's called Pascal's Wager. Mm. Uh, as a, a, a scientist or whatever, it was a Blaise Pascal. Pascal. He was yeah, a philosopher. Yeah. And he, that's how he basically presented it as a wager. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, 50 50. Well, I'm going to try to hedge my bets here. That really know? puts things into perspective, too, because then, yeah. you know, people can argue and say, well, you only live once, and so I want to maximize the, the amount of fun. No, you live, you live twice. Right. <laughs> it's so the second time's forever. That, with that perspective, it's like, well, okay. And, yeah. and if you, you, can, you can give in to your, your uh, for a good friend of mine says, giving in and being a slave to your, your primal. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what, what did he call it? But essentially, like, I want to do this, so I will do it. And um, religious perspective, yeah. then I look at it from yeah. a psychological perspective and a, yeah. a philosophical perspective. The more you give in to your, your base desires, that's what you say, you're a slave to your mm-hmm. base desires. Yeah. And there is no practice of, of delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. And in the teachings of, of, of Catholicism, there's mm-hmm. a lot of delayed gratification it's a lot of sacrifice in that mm-hmm. sense, right? Pick up your cross, carry it, yeah. which is really do what you need to do before you do what mm-hmm. you want to do because you'll find more happiness in that. You'll find more gratification. You'll find more peace yeah. and content. Well, you know, there's Bishop Shane, a uh, famous uh, bishop on TV a lot back in the 50s, 60s, said, mm-hmm. says, says something that I've always remembered, and that is, you know, God will forgive. Mm-hmm. Got to say you're sorry, but God will forgive. And man can forgive. Yeah. I can choose to forgive. He said, but nature never forgives mm. so people create their own hell right you know you can right. say well i'm just going to drink eat and be merry yeah. okay but look at the number you know there's a doctor's uh, a clinic right underneath my my real estate office and he I, he takes medicaid so you kind of see like all the people that really can't afford any kind of kind of medical care right. And they're standing outside smoking and coughing up their lungs. And I, I mean, I don't want to point it out because of the look. But anyway, we already know that. You want to smoke? Okay. You want to drink yourself to death? Okay, you will. You don't have to wait for God to pronounce judgment on you. Right. You create your own living hell. Yeah. Your body starts to give out, you know, 50, 60 years old. You've been mistreating. I'm 63, you know. Thank God I kind of like, you know, took care of myself because there's a lot of guys my age that ain't doing so well, right. mostly because of their lifestyle, right? Yeah. So... The idea of overcoming nature, that's a precisely what we were baptized into. Yeah. We were given supernatural powers yeah. and grace through the sacraments, through the church, to overcome nature. Yeah. Because nature says, look, this is good. Don't worry. Go ahead, take a bite. You yeah. can be like God. I mean, the that's tree. the first yeah. one. Like, give in to your pleasure. Give in yeah. to your desire. And, and nothing has changed, right. right? But we already know, like, if you're an athlete or whatever, you, you're constantly uh, denying yourself. You're yeah. constantly disciplined. You want to succeed in anything. Right. You want to become a doctor. You want to become a great, uh, you know, radio guy like, like Jason over here or whatever. I mean, there's a discipline, you yeah, know. Absolutely. You're overcoming. You get up in the morning. You don't feel like getting out of bed, but you do it because you overcome. You, you know, th- there's nothing new about this. So for people to say, you know, when it comes to religion, ah, oh, they can't tell me what to do or whatever. Well, they ain't telling you what to yeah. do. God doesn't send anybody to hell. No. He just lets you take yourself yeah. there and you're by yourself and yeah. that's you know i i, I uh, the the epiphany that i had over again when i found my way back to the church mm. was the ten commandments the story of moses and they were in the desert and they were worshiping the cow and and everybody was having sex with everybody and things were just crazy and he goes up in the mountain and god speaks to him mm-hmm. and he gives him these ten commandments and you know it's the language of the times right so when i talk to people today my contemporaries i tell them consider them challenges mm-hmm. and god says if you want to be closer to me if you want to find mm-hmm. happiness and when i say happiness it's it's fleeting mm-hmm. otherwise it doesn't mean anything if you're always happy then what mm-hmm. does that mean mm-hmm. it's so to be content with yourself <coughs> to to accept the bad that's in your life but to be grateful for what is good right and that's where you find that that real that's where i found my contentment that's where god really spoke mm-hmm. to me and said look at what you're doing here you're chasing happiness these these instantaneous moments of joy that you mm-hmm. feel that you're artificially creating yeah. what's the value of that versus the value of delayed gratification yeah. you know restricting yourself yeah. more from these pleasures so that when you do imbibe in them mm-hmm. they're that much more meaningful like you so know, you know since you're talking about moses <clears throat> i mean they, they they get out there on the way to the promised land and yeah. what what do the Israelites want to do Hey, take us back to the flesh pots of Egypt. Yeah, yeah. We don't mind being slaves. Yeah, they, At least we had food. Yeah, you know, exactly. that kind of thing, right? Yeah. You know, and that's uh, first they wanted to be yeah. free, then they're free in the desert and they're yeah. like, We'd rather go back to being slaves. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting. How are we doing so, on time? Uh we're still pretty good. Well, just yeah. to, to a couple one more thing about we're the Moses really, thing. I just I just happened to be listening to um 
uh, a radio station. It wasn't the Catholic radio station, but there's some pretty good non-Catholic radio stations that got some pretty good preachers on. And this morning, this guy was talking about, hey, when God told Moses, let my people go, where, 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 where did he say to let them go to? Right. The promised land wasn't even in the picture at that point. Right. Let my people go. You know, know the answer to that? Just a little no, catechism no. quiz? To go into the wilderness and worship. That's what they were to do when they left Egypt. There wasn't anything about going. They didn't know if they were going for a day, two days, 40 years. He wanted the Israelites to go into the wilderness and worship. The wilderness uh, was the desert. Yeah. You know? And so God sometimes, you know, God, not just sometimes, all the time. He's going to take you to the desert. Yeah. Okay, before he leads you to the land flowing with milk and honey. Mm-hmm. And people get to the desert and they say, no, man, I want to go back to the flesh pots of Egypt, right. right? So he promises the cross. He promises the desert. But the second thing there, he wanted to teach them how to worship him. And if you ask uh, anybody today, uh, you know, uh, do you worship Jesus? Well, you know, a lot of people say, well, how do you do that? Well, I just praise the Lord, you know, whatever. And some people say, well, I can worship, you know, I can pray at the beach or the golf course or whatever it happens to be. And I said, well, that's not worship, right. you know. And uh, so what are you talking about? He says, well, how did Jesus say he wanted to be worshipped, right? Well, there's only one way. I mean, there's only one time. He gives a specific command on the night before he died. He mm-hmm. broke the bread, wine, do this. In commemoration, the word is commemoration, right. acknowledgement of me. This is how I want to be worshipped. Right. God's number one desire of all of us is to be worshipped, right? And there's a right way to worship. There's right worship. And I believe that a lot of our problems stem from clergy and so on when we decided that we can decide, uh, you know, how to make it more fun, yeah. you know. And for 40 years we've been trying to, we've been chasing the Protestants down the street to get, you know, better guitars and bands and whatever else to make it more entertaining liturgy. No, there's a right way to worship. Mm. And I, I believe that all of our problems stem from uh, not worshiping uh, correctly. We worship ourselves. We turn the priests around and get the people. Who are facing? Each other. Before, you're not old enough, but before, everybody was facing God together. I've seen some yeah. photos and some footage. Yeah, that's that, worship. Where even the priest would, was facing yeah. the cross as yeah. well. Yeah, well, it still does in the, in the old traditional mass, but you don't, don't see that. But when as soon as they turn the priest around, okay, now the, the problem here is that the, now the priest matters. Oh, I like Father point. so-and-so. I don't yeah. like Father and so-and-so, you know, whatever. But when the priest, he didn't have his back to the people. They're all facing God together. It's very (laughs) interesting that you mentioned that because I used to say that when I was spending a lot of my time surfing before I had a job that actually required, you know, eight hours. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's one of those, you know, lifeguard and whatever. So I would say this is where I do my worshiping. I'm worshiping, you know, God out here. And you're so right. It's we can't choose to do that. And people say, well, why does it have to be there? Just asking the question is selfish in itself. And so that's like, Mm -hmm. okay. It, again, it's all about delayed gratification. It's all about sacrifice. Can mm. you go there? Can you sit down and shut up for one hour mm. and go through this r- ritual that I find now that mm. I'm older, more mature, is very meditative, standing up, sitting down, kneeling. It's like if you can't even do that, especially as an adult, yeah. how can you expect to put the rest of your life in order if you can't sacrifice mm. you know, one hour to come in, sit down, listen to the story, find the universal relevance mm-hmm. that's happening in your yeah. life? Mm-hmm. You know, within within the gospel. Well, uh, if, I, if, I, if I can, I mean, I mean, this is good, and I and I'd like for people to do that. But even if you can't find anything, because a lot of times people say, you know, you gotta you gotta you gotta get put something in to get something out. At the very minimum, mm. you are showing up on Sunday for an hour because Jesus said, "Do this." Yeah. No other reason. Right. This is how, and 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 here's what happens if you don't do this. Matthew ten thirty two. He who acknowledges me, I will acknowledge to my Father. In mm. other words, you ain't going to heaven unless you acknowledge me. Right. He who does not, I will not acknowledge to my Father. You're going to hell, right? And how does he want to be acknowledged? Right. Okay, He said, do this in memory of me and, and to commemorate me. This right. is how I want to be acknowledged, right? right. And... Um, you know, I can, it's one of my favorite subjects. I could really go on there because I struggled with that for a long time. Like, what is wrong... Because, I'll, you know, I never miss Mass, but most of the time I'm struggling. There's something wrong here mm. because it doesn't seem to be about God at all. It seems to be about the next song. I used to be a choir director, you know, and I was, like, really into, like, everybody clapping for me at the end. I was, like, really good on the guitar and this and that. And I did it for years. I got paid to do it, you know. But after a while, I felt this is something wrong with this. So I stopped doing it all together, mm. you know. 
and it's very difficult even now. I'm not putting down anybody who does music or whatever. It's fine. Uh, but the more I've learned, the more I realize that you know this. It, there's very little of Jesus in the mass, almost any mass that mm. you go to. And uh, whenever I can, I try to go to the mass where it's ad orientum, which is where they're all facing the same way, because at least that takes the distraction out. Anyway, we're kind of off topic, but uh, it, well, I mean, that's, I, uh, I think it's good that because you know we're talking about all of these really negative, ugly, disgusting, vile yeah. elements that have infiltrated the church for for a long time now. Yeah, horrible and perversions. It's, yeah. it's also, it's, it's good that we balance it with yeah. what good that comes out of it. You know, you talk about the choir, and I, when I joined the 1130 choir at Cathedral, as much as I love the music, I found it very difficult to get back into that meditative state mm. where, where, I can, where God mm. is actually mm. talking to me. Mm. You know, where he's, yeah. and he's, my relationship with God is, it's very interesting. He's kind of like this really tough father to me, and mm -hmm. I'll ask him questions, and then I'll, I'll kind of, the answer will be there in my head and he'll just kind of look at me like, really, mm. really, that's the answer. Yeah, like, that's you no, want good. forgiveness from this person, but you're yeah. not willing to forgive them for that. You can't hold anything over anybody's head yeah. and then ask them for their forgiveness. Well, let me ask you this. Mm. I mean, why haven't you lost your faith over this clergy sex abuse scandal? Because I, under that's, I understand that these individuals are violating the purest, most innocent trust of the congregation. They mm. are putting... Mm. You know, wrong, not I won't say wrongfully, but mistakenly putting their faith in Him to lead them yeah. when their faith should be in Jesus and in God, and for them to take advantage of that and to to use anyway, you recognize them as evil. And Absolutely, not, not I, don't church, right? the, the, I don't these see the I don't see the institution Judas's. itself. These, yeah. these are the these are the, the what do you call it? The uh, satanic infiltrators. Correct. You know They're trying mean? to take it down. I mean, yeah. you look at the public school system. How many here in Guam? How right. many teachers have we had? How many right. school aides have we had? Violate that. Oh, yeah. So any right. institution is mm -hmm. is at risk for infiltration for people mm -hmm. to get into. An, a position mm. of authority mm. so that they can have their way with it. Mm. And so, again, to have blind faith in the institution to correct itself is a mistake. We have to remain diligent. Mm -hmm. I, I would just kind of like, uh, I know we're getting close to the end here, so I just kind of like would say that. We have another beyond, 20 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we can talk about it a little bit more then because, to be honest with you, I'm a, a little bit pessimistic going forward. You, you did say that. You said you, you believe it's going to get worse, a lot worse. Uh, well, not just on, the, on what, what Aperon plans to do and all those kinds of things. Um, I kind of see people thinking, "Ah, oh, we got our we got our parish back." You know, we, you know, might as well go ahead and mention this. But the whole thing has been they just wanted to get the neos out, mm -hmm. right? And if they get the neos out, then everything's going to be okay. Right. Well, you know, uh, the neo cats. Uh, you know, there's pros and cons or whatever. And I've always make a point that I, it's never about the actual people. Right. You know, um, I can go into why that that all happened in the first place. But the, the guys that run the Neocats are very aggressive people, and I believe they even teach heresy, but I can go into that another time. But they were very aggressive, very powerful. Of course, they were favored by Aperon, so they got into positions of power. Right, right. And that upset, like, well, you know, it's like people say, well, that was always my pew. What are you doing sitting in it? You know, that kind of attitude. Or, or they, you know, Father always trusted me with the money, and now these Neocats are running things. You know, that, mm. So there was this position of power. I, there was even a fight amongst the choirs, you know, like there was a, <laughs> the Neocats versus whatever. And Anyway, um, I sort of see people that all they wanted to do is just get the Neocats out and get back to their, you know, planning the next fiesta. You know, I mean, yeah. that's kind of what it was. And there's there's no attempt to actually address everything that was bad that gave like we talked about it from the beginning, that there was no attempt to address, you know, how was it that, you know, we're the worst in the world, and yet we celebrate ourselves as a, a wonderful family friendly culture and this and that and, um, you know, all these bad things happen everywhere else too, but. And Guam, of course, is magnified, you know, because it's, it was closed like like it was for so long. And, of course, it's small, so we see it more. But it's really hard to argue with those numbers. 147 yeah. per 100,000 versus Boston, which is number two, at 12. Yeah. You know, and so there's something that's really wrong here. Um, I, 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 I kind of know what it is, uh, you know, if we really want to get... Uh, down to it. Part of that is the whole thing about the shame in the family. Yeah, you know? yeah. The, what I coined um, is the mamalo factor. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so long as people uh, don't want to go there, we're not going to solve anything. Yeah. Because the most of the abuse isn't happening by the priests. Where's Where's most of the abuse happening? Yeah, it's in the home. It's in the family. It's in the home. I mean, by, it, by people known to the victim. Right. Right. It's it's terrible. Um, well, on that, Guam has twice the child neglect. It's called child maltreatment rate. Mm. 
and the rest of the nation, okay? Um, so just in child abuse alone, we are twice as worse as the rest of the nation. Yeah. And, you know, if, if there's... If there are people out there who are getting upset, like, oh, why are you talking bad about yeah, Guam? It's and, like, and we're not talking bad about Guam. We are talking <laughs> about families that are neglecting their kids and the high rate that yeah, it happens yeah, here on Guam. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I've, I've seen the connection between that blind faith and the leadership mm. of the church and also in government. The government should fix our problems. The government should end crime and this. It's like all of that stems from... <laughs> the family values the core values and really yeah. there's a, a loss of emphasis there and with those values and with the with with mm -hmm. that good family setting there's going to be sacrifice and restrictions and delayed gratification and you know there's this real turn ever since like the pc era there's maybe mm -hmm. even before that mm -hmm. there's this been this directional change mm -hmm. in culture and values it's like mm -hmm. just go and be happy and you know, it's mm -hmm. like, okay, well, what is that? What are you bypassing and all of that? Look at the, look at the negative consequences that, mm -hmm. that stem from that. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't want to be strict and yeah. with their kids, but <clears throat> well, we're, I don't know. I, I'm we're not going we're off not, on a tangent. No, but, it, yeah, I mean, and that's, we're, we're trying to get to the bottom mm -hmm. of it. And I have a real easy formula and, uh, for all of it, <clears throat> and it, it's this. As the church goes, so goes the world. Mm. Um, the church tries to blame the world. They try to say, oh, we got more distractions nowadays and we got the sex culture. No, no. as the church goes, so goes the world. Mm. Because before Woodstock, there was Vatican II. Vatican II undermined the basic underpinnings of things that people took for granted, part of the church. It created questions that kind of led to <clears throat> the sexual revolution. Mm. They want to blame it the other way. But as church goes, so goes the world. Now, here's why uh, I use that. And it's not my saying. It's it comes from Jesus himself saying, you are the light of the world. Yeah. Okay. Jesus Christ gave himself body, blood, soul, and divinity for his church. Right. We have everything we need to be supernatural, to be perfect. Be perfect as, right. your, holy, as your heavenly father is perfect. He's given us everything we need. And Catholics alone can do this because, sorry Protestants, but we're the only church, okay, who has... Those sacraments, mm. body, blood, soul, and divinity. We've got the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. We have the sacraments. We have all of that. So if something's wrong with the world, it's because something's wrong with the church. Mm. And people try to make out, oh, I'm trying to destroy the church, back the Catholic church. I'm talking bad about the Catholic church. Um, yeah, I am. You know, because I don't have enough to talk about it. I just have to point to the stats. 147 per 100,000, 10 times worse than Boston. I mean, that's where it really is. So the church itself, now how do you fix that? Well, you have to, you, you know, you have to live holy lives, yeah. starting with you. You have to stop sinning. Yeah. And most people are not going to give up their contraceptive pills or whatever yeah. else they're using. And it's all of that kind that's of stuff. That's the, that's the, the dirty little secret. When you talk about Woodstock, yeah. you talk about the birth control pills. You it talk was all, about, it's all about sex without consequences at the yeah, bottom line yeah. when it comes. That's what abortion and is. It really, you know? when, I, when I look at it today, and especially with social media, Instagram, and Snapchat, and all these things, mm -hmm. and I see women devaluing, and they're probably going to be very upset at me for saying this, but. Welcome to the I club. See, I see them devaluing themselves online, and it's like, okay, well, you want to look sexy. Yeah. Who are you doing it for? Why are you doing it? Yeah, and that's. I, I I was speaking with a a, yeah. a female friend of mine, and you know mm -hmm. she was kind of entertaining me. I was being a little bit cynical, but jokingly about it. And I said, "Look at these pictures." I said, "Would you want to show this picture to your father?" And she's like, mm -hmm. "No." So so why are you putting it on mm -hmm. the internet for the mm -hmm. world to see it? And then you turn around and question why people are judging you a certain mm -hmm. way. It's like because you're putting yourself out there. You want to call it fearless? It's like no, you're being mm -hmm. dumb. Yeah. <laughs> But hey, that's you know people are going to do what they want to do, and if they're not willing to take on, and I think there's again, it's that resentment. Well, when's the last time you went to church and heard a sermon about modesty? That's a good point. Okay, that's a very so good why point. should they? Why should we? Uh, you know, wonder like why are people being immodest, which is what right. they're doing? Does and the church still value modesty? Right. Look at the people that go to church. Look at how people are dressed. I had a priest say, "Well, it doesn't really matter as long as they come." Wait a minute. If you were going to a party, you would dress nicer than that. Yeah, yeah. You know, but. Or, or, I mean, because sometimes I see individuals going to church dressed like they're going to the club, and sometimes I, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, maybe they just don't understand what is appropriate dress for church, right? You, you want to look your well, best. Well, these things used that. to be taught. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, sure enough, when I was growing up, you know I mean? I had to have the hair combed and the pants and everything. Yeah, because you're going in. to see the king. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's about worship. Right. But when we made it about each other... Well then, you know. So, that, but I, I I bring that back because you what you what you were, you were saying about before it has to do with the basically a, an, an immodest culture, an exhibitionist mm. culture. Yeah. Well, what, that has to be taught. 
Okay, that's a that's a value that has to be taught. Well, that's where what, would you hear it from? That's what we yeah. evolved from. Yeah. That's what made us higher beings. Is we used to, again, be slaves to our base desires. I need to eat. I need to breed. Uh, I can be violent because I need to control my territory. Mm. But the church helped us evolve past that. And you you highlighted that perfectly mm. in the beginning, where you said, "Here's the fruit. You can give into your base desire and mm. eat it, and and, mm. and find your pleasure in, in its mm. sweetness. Yeah. Or you can listen to." You can take on God's challenge mm-hmm. and not eat that fruit mm-hmm. and, you know, have everything else that you need to do. But, again, Adam, you know, Eve did it and then Adam bit it and God came down and said, what happened? He goes, uh, it's her fault. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when the sin just started. I had the fruit and now I'm lying. Yeah, we're you know? so the blame, yeah. a culture of blaming. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. anyway. Yeah, we're reaching that time now. Man, it's okay. been a really great discussion. Yeah, well. I, um, I hate to know. end it now. I'd love to have you back on. You know, maybe we can do this every, I don't know, at least once or twice when, a month. Whenever you, there's, there's going to be a lot of fireworks happening here pretty yeah. soon. And um, you, I'm, I'm planning on uh, going after the people who came after me. Like mm-hmm. I told you before, I've had uh, death threats, yeah. uh, threats of violence, threats against my family, yeah. uh, lawsuits. The archdiocese threatened to sue me publicly several times. Um, I'm not done with them. Mm. Um, I, I have a lawsuit waiting to happen, you know, my own lawsuit right. with them. Um, I've just been waiting for the right time to, to, to do all this, and um, the time is coming. Well, I want to thank you for coming here. I, I know earlier in, er, early in the conversation you mentioned that a former colleague uh, that was working here ran hit pieces on you, was on our station. But the fact that you're here and we can discuss mm-hmm. this, I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, she now know. has a very high-paying job. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't want that job, though. I'll tell you that much right yeah. now. Yeah, well. But again, thank you for coming on. We look forward to having you again. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for uh, watching, for listening. I'm Julia Santos. This is Tim Rohr. Thank you. We'll see you guys.